Hello and welcome to Reflections. I am Rom Gaioso, your host. Today, our topic is the future of politics. And I have the right person to talk to us about that, Mike Lobb. First and foremost, thank you so very much for being here with me and my guest. I know your time is very important and I'm the guy who makes sure it is invested wisely. Remember, if you're watching this show via Futures Television, uh, the home of the future on television, or listening to the show via Radio Futures, the wave of the future on radio, you too can be part of the conversation. Please join us in our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. Well, let's get going. So my guest today is Mike Lab. He's dedicated to see our political process improve. And he has many ideas in how to get us there. In the talk today, we will start in the present and discuss a little bit of what's going on. Then what we'll do is we're going to move into the future and imagine some ways to make the political process less conflictive and more objective. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Mike to the show. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How wonderful to see you, and thank you so much for uh, being here. And, and I have to start from the beginning. So, you know, Mike, tell me a little bit about your passions. Why are you passionate about politics? Well, well thank you. Um, I'm passionate about politics because I've seen myself change uh, quite often, and um, both politically and, you know, religiously, um, you know, started my life one way and then kind of jumped to the other extreme. And in being so convinced that I was right and and then changing my my mind over time, you know, obviously you realize that, uh, you know, your initial beliefs, you, you run into concepts such as uh, confirmation bias, uh, cognitive inertia, and you know, just being exposed to some of these ideas just really helped me see um, kind of a, a sickness in our society where so many of us um, are having cognitive biases and and don't even see it in our lives. And our political debates are all built upon appeals to emotion. And, and just the more you kind of learn about, uh, you know, our, our consciousness and our uh, how we make decisions, the more you see how that doesn't really work with how we're making political decisions now. And so it's just something that I'm interested in and, and passionate about. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, you know, the issue of bias. So unfortunately, we, we do have uh, selective attention. But one problem that I see that in a, we we don't pay much attention to bias and we, some people don't even realize we're we're biased so we think something's true and then we only look at the environment for things that will reinforce that belief that that something is true and we conveniently uh, ignore the things that uh, point out to the you know otherwise no have you thought about this have you thought about that and uh, we through our selective attention and as you explain uh, through our bias we um, tends to only look at the things that reinforce our beliefs, which kind of brings me to the um, uh, to the next question. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, polarization, really. So, you know, and that's the word of the politics uh, today. And there's so much um, polarization, but I, I don't really remember that much growing up. I think we used to say not so far here, not so far there, live and let live and things like this. So uh, polarization, how did we get here? Yeah, um, thank you. That's a an excellent question, and I, I do appreciate your comments about um, bias and and you know how the bias can lead us to being polarized and and you know definitely stop me if I'm being too philosophical. But I think that this kind of um, these concepts kind of lay a uh, groundwork for for some concrete solutions that I see in the future. But um, my concern now is kind of a cynical approach to manipulation and relativistic approaches to truth in our culture. So kids are, are told to spend their lives, are, they're not told to spend their lives in, in humble pursuits of truth. 
uh, they're given an article to read in school and to and told to start pro uh, producing propaganda to either defend one side or the other. And to me, it's the whole clean slate approach where everyone is supposed to find their own truth. And you kind of contrast that with the concept in science where it's standing on the shoulders of giants and kind of getting your data to fit in with the rest of the data around you. And kids are told that they are entitled to persuade people you know, before really spending much time in, in becoming a subject matter expert. And I, I know that um, when I was young, I was taught something called the uh, persuasive essay format. I don't know if you remember hearing much about that uh, when you were young, how to write a persuasive essay. But uh, I'm, my kids all learned it. And I think that it's just teaching our children to produce propaganda. Um, they're told to pick a side and to choose arguments that support your side. And you know, you're, you're not even really supposed to address the counter evidence. And worse in the conclusion, if you Google persuasive essay format, you'll see many outlines of how you're supposed to do it. And many of these outlines say that you're supposed to point out potential benefits to the reader if they agree with you. And, and then you're supposed to provide a call to action. And first of all, you know, scientists and judges, they're not supposed to pick a side. Uh, they're supposed to follow the evidence. Um, and I, I don't know if you, you watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, but there's a very memorable guy in it. And he has thick glasses and dreadlocks. And he said, we've created a generation of people where the very meaning of communication and culture is manipulation. We've put deceit and sneakiness at the absolute center of everything we do. And, you know, I think that that gets back to what you were saying about bias. Um, when you pick a side, it's very hard because of cognitive inertia to stop moving in that direction. You know, you go left and you get inertia behind you kind of pushing you that way. And like you said, once you pick a side, uh, there's an excellent book called Righteous Minds by Jonathan Haidt. Uh, I highly recommend it. But it explains how, just like you said, you're not really looking for, uh, for you know, the truth. You're looking for justification of what you want to believe but you know yeah, with I, a persuasive oh yeah please in, in a little bit longer uh, so i remember you know the persuasive essays and all but the first step was looking for information which you described as becoming becoming an expert but we would have to understand the basics before we went out and started making arguments for or against or something it looks like People are skipping the understand the, the basics or looking for the facts and going, as you mentioned, uh, uh, straight to the to the propaganda machine. So you have you can convince someone and say, well, well we skip a step. Right. What, what about uh, as you as you explain very well, you know, uh, looking for facts and fact finding first and, and you know, having some kind of a common basic understanding. Right. We, we skip the step and then we we arrive in the situation where. It, it becomes, you know, we, we, we're teaching propaganda uh, to people and then they, we're surprised that uh, when they leave the school, they're doing what? More propaganda. <laughs> that's what they were well, taught, right? You know, th that's exactly what was in the back of my mind is the word propaganda. And and you're right. There are wonderful teachers that, you know, say that you should do, do the research correctly. And um, what, what I was just not warned as a child when I was deciding what to believe religious, religiously was all of these warnings about how you can um, be controlled and manipulated and how you can control and manipulate yourself. And, and you know, we, we have warning signs on cigarettes uh, packages and alcohol, but um, I, I, I imagine there are good teachers that give warnings on, you know, confirmation bias and choosing sides and, and you know, good, good teachers do give warnings but but you can corrupt your own mind if you if you don't if you're not careful and you know the devil truly is in the details and in, in how that process works. Well, I remember 
if I remember correctly. So uh, actually, the the tobacco companies paid for the studies that actually said that tobacco is not really any damaging to your health. So for 40 or 50 years, they, quote, built their own version of the truth. And so when we realized, well, perhaps, you know, the person paying for those things is the direct beneficiary of the results of the study. Perhaps that's not so kosher after all. Yeah, it's so, follow the money and and you know do do your own research and you know once you've kind of a, adopted a, a political philosophy, um, you know you, you you don't even realize that you're kind of um, being manipulated and that you're manipulating yourself and, and it feels like it's true a true part of yourself, um, but you know truth has to be integrated with the other truths. But anyways, uh, no, that's a good point. Yeah. So uh, I have a different kind of question here. So um, Bazir, right, he wants to know a little bit about, you know, critical thinking skills. So how can citizens build critical thinking skills? Also at the policy level, what about any code of ethics? Is there any? I did not know that. And accountability at the policy level. Well, so, um, Bazir, unfortunately, there's... Yeah, thank you. That is a great question. Uh, unfortunately, when I uh, read Jonathan Haidt's uh, A Righteous Mind, he, he says that building critical thinking in individuals is almost a lost cause. It's hopeless. And I don't, I, and I'm, I, don't, I don't want to discourage you, but even people that know about confirmation bias and people that know about uh, all of these things they are unable to remove bias from their own lives. And so, you know, the book, uh, Righteous Minds, it tells you that the only hope is dialogue and getting groups together. And you have your own biases and you can try your best to remove them. But like, like Ram said, the, the only solution is going back to the old days where we spoke with each other and we had conversations and friends on the other side. And we as a community, we as a community can reach, um, I'm not sure, what was the question about uh, how do you combat, how do you get critical thinking skills? Yeah, hope, um, go back think, to building critical thinking skills, because I think uh, what Bezir is trying to say, well, if, if we had those, right, if we, from yeah. the get-go, uh, if we had some somewhat more of a, uh, maybe if the education process was built in a way, so instead of trying to do the propaganda stuff, if we're focusing on building critical critical thinking skills and teaching people how to become more critical, not just to accept things as facts, but rather to investigate and have that curiosity in mind, perhaps we would be in a different situation, would we not? Correct. And and we can we can try to do the the best we can as individuals. But we also need to join groups of people with diverse opinions and hear from both sides. And you know, you can do your best, but but that's ultimately where I think the the solution comes. And so the giving and taking of information, and I think what you uh, described is so important. So and 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 I guess uh, maybe I'm. I'm it's, I'm not being nostalgic by any stretch of the imagination, but we used to have like salons where we, we would get yeah. together. And those were free things, right? So we would talk about the book and someone would have a, a, one opinion about a book and one would have a completely opposite opinion. But there was this kind of dialogue where we, where we got together. And at, at some point in time, at the beginning of the internet, we, we had that healthy debate where we, we could hold talks and conversations with people who you know have diametrically opposed views of what you do but again uh, the the real process is you don't have to espouse their views in order to discuss them we can discuss op opposing views without subscribing to them can we not yeah the goal is uh, to to burst confirmation uh or uh, bubbles or, or echo chambers and i i'm old enough that i remember when the internet was first being constructed that we all thought that, you know, it, it would help everything that people would learn to understand each other. It, there was, there was lots of optimism when the internet was being built. And I, I remember thinking that we would link all of our arguments and we would build a Socratic website where you saw where, um, 
you know, Nietzsche agreed with Socrates. And you would click on, you know, a, a, a statement by Socrates and you would see all of the re people who agreed and all of the people who disagreed. And we, we would link all of our arguments in such a way that it wasn't attention span based, but it was um, pros and cons. And I, I honestly remember thinking that we, the internet was gonna solve a lot of these problems of people misunderstanding each other. And it was gonna, it was gonna get people from the other side of the world to come together and solve all their problems. But obviously we see if you've watched the, the social dilemma that, that that's not how the internet has been designed so far. And there's promises of web 2.0 and 3.0 and, and that, you know, it's, it's going to change in the future. And that's, that's really what I'm excited about. Yeah, those are great things. So maybe going back, you know, to Brazil's point, maybe we should go back to doing some of those things and maybe like pros and cons and, and things like, you know, on the left column, on the right column, why, you know, in favor or against and things like this. But perhaps we, if we, taught those those simple tricks or you know techniques uh, to our youngsters they would be more inclined uh to be more critical and it, as you explain at least you know acknowledging our biases so when when we do write papers right we are supposed to disclose our own biases so that you know this is how we see the world and, and that's not necessarily uh, you know good or bad it's just this is how you see the world you know, that's, you know, we're all influenced by culture, by education, by religion and things like this. But because we we see that way and we're able to understand we see it this way, we can also understand that somebody else from a different culture, from a different religion, from a different political perspective or spectrum would see it differently. And I think that's the beauty of, you know, what you try to explain here, which is, you know, if we if we kind of come get together and and the internet is a beautiful tool we it could facilitate the dialogue uh, actually uh, that's kind of where i wanted to go next so instead of uh, um instead of dialogue we end up shouting at each other so i yeah. wanted to ask you a little bit about at some point in time we we lost the civility right so mm -hmm. uh what can we do in order to get the civility uh, back uh, to the political discourse nowadays is more about you know personal attacks and hear very little about you know ideas or how we're going to get ahead so um how do we get back to a civil political discourse yeah that, that's really the question you know and so i i think the only insults only work when you view yourself as a warrior in an ideological battle or, or when everyone views themselves as, you know, salespeople using the persuasive essay format or um, personal attacks only work when your goal is to make the opposite side look foolish. And so the only way to stop the insults is to create political parties that, that don't make enemies of each other. Um, so I'm no longer religious, but the Bible says that in the last days that people will accept arbitration. And it actually uses the word arbitration. And it says they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so arbitration and the cessation of ideological battles are, are what millions of people have longed for, you know, for thousands of years. And Julia Galef expressed this desire much better than I, I could in a, a TED talk where she talked about the difference between a scout versus the warrior mindset. And you know, a scout is looking for information and trying to see those pros and cons and reasons to agree and, and disagree. Where you know, obviously, a warrior is is enlisted on one side and then down in the dirt and you know, willing to sacrifice you know the the present for you know a glorious future. Um, but uh, you know, we've we've known what makes people intelligent and stupid politically for thousands of years. You know, Lady Justice is shown with a scale because she looks at both sides of an argument. She is blindfolded to represent that, you know, we must control our bias and emotional preference for either side and look for, like you, you've used the word earlier on, objective facts when weighing the evidence. But this concept goes, it's much older. Uh, Lady Justice traces her roots back to the goddess Matt. M-A-A-T, the Egyptian goddess Matt, who also used scales 
to understand both sides of an issue. So, but having individuals rediscover the secret to wisdom and looking at both sides isn't working. We've known, you know, smart people have been aware that that's the solution for, for uh, thousands of years, but we um, find ourselves still in these ideological battles and we're making the same arguments over and over again on Twitter, on Facebook. It's just countless repetition and we're not learning and we're not growing and we're devolving. We, things that our ancestors understood aren't generally being practiced by common people. Um, we need institutions dedicated to arbitration, de debate, and weighing cost benefits and risk. And we must build algorithms in software that promote reason, logic, and evidence. And uh, the insults and the personal attacks won't stop until we, we create a different game and we get people to play a different game. And, you know, and it's, it's got to be more than just, you know, the people in ivory towers who are reading books and sharing ideas about books already. I mean, that's been going on for thousands of years, but, um, you know, we're kind of preaching, you know, this, hey, you need to fit your ideas into uh, the weight of evidence. But, you know, you have politicians doing... Uh, you know, speeches and conventions and, you know, they come to stadiums and they, they preach, you know, you're fine how you are, you know, come in all your, uh, come as you are. And, and, you know, we don't need to, uh, you know, be like those nerdy people that, um, you know, sit around and look at both sides. We, you, you just, we just need your energy and enthusiasm, and that. And what, what I'm hoping for is that we can match that level of involvement, and that we can, we can get people to, to come and participate, but to fit their arguments within uh, logic and reason and pros and cons, and 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 it needs to be more than just people who are interested in books and interested in sharing ideas. But I, I think we need to make it open to everyone on the internet. And um, I, I think that that's really what we need to do is we need to, yes, involve people uh, in the design of, uh, you know, these types of websites or these types of new political parties that um, look at, try to use uh, conflict resolution. But we need to um, make it for, for everyone to participate with uh, direct democratic participation. But I think that that's, that's kind of what we need to do to make uh, things less, more civil. Okay, well, a lot of things uh, to talk about. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's go back to, you are really an expert in conflict resolution techniques, right? So uh, yes. could we leverage those skills to help us foster a more objective political dialogue? It seems like, you know, it, it's really subjective and, and opinion-based as opposed to fact-finding. So uh, in your experience, in your, uh, you know, uh, conflict resolution, could we apply some of those techniques and, and help us, you know, get, get to a better place here? Yes. Um, thanks for the kind words. I, I do believe, you know, uh, that we could, and that, that's my main objective at this point, is I think we can design websites that use, you know, algorithms, which are just simple procedures, and, and we can use the procedures taught by arbitration, moderation, and conflict resolution. But I don't want it to sound super complex. I, I think any computer programmer or web designer who reads a book like um, this is this is a book called uh, Getting to Yes. And um, a little bit about the book, it, its uh, subtitle is Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In. And it was written by the founders of the Harvard Negotiation Project. So these are the people that teach the State Department how to negotiate international conflicts. Um, but it, if a com computer programmer or web designer were to read this book, they would see a suggestion. And one of, one of the maybe 20 suggestions in this book is to focus on interests, not positions. So let's say a web designer wanted to create a new political party that uses conflict resolution uh, a conflict resolution website to make decisions. Uh, 
and interests of the pro-choice movement when it comes to abortion is self-determination and freedom from government meddling. So the web designer would encourage this to be identified as a shared interest between the two sides because freedom is a motivator, a motivator that is often expressed by pro-life conservatives, freedom from you know, government meddling. And, and, uh, but the web designer would also allow opposing interests to be identified between the two sides. So pro-life advocates want life to be sacralized. And when something is sacred, it becomes an absolute that is outside of practical considerations. And so the de desire for life to be sacred and the need to have commitments outside of practical consideration is a strong motivator for, for those within the pro-life camp. But it's a motivation that remains hidden to those who are not explicitly trying to understand the interest of the other side. You know, again, a technique taught in conflict, conflict resolution is to not bargain over position. Not say, oh, I, I need this law passed. And oh, no, I don't want this law passed. And this law is good. No, this law is bad. That just having those surface arguments is getting us nowhere. And a simple website where people on each side were able to identify their interest and their motivation and why they choose their side, and it focused on motivation instead of just their position, would undercover what would uncover their hidden motivations. Um, so everyone would benefit if we could address these hidden motivations. Uh, perhaps the desire for rules that are never broken should be balanced, you know, by times when when Jesus or prophets set aside rigid laws to serve practical consideration. And so, you know, someone who's trying to influence a pro a strong pro life person needs to understand all of these complexities. It, it doesn't mean that we just need to shout louder or band together and make memes about how stupid the other side is. We really need to focus um, more. And I think any computer programmer or web designer who, who sat down with this book could, could design a website that does a much better job than Twitter or Facebook or you know, Democrat, Democrats.org or Republicans.com or Republicans.org, you know. Um, so that's, that's kind of my whole thesis is that, is that um, we can integrate the techniques of conflict resolution into a, a web design or into a political party that uses democratic uh, contributions to make decisions. So, uh, Th this would just be a new political party and, you know, we would keep our government exactly how it is, but um, uh, uh, representatives would promise to show their math and say why they voted uh, to, to support or oppose a different belief. And, you know, they, they could do that however they wanted, but they, they could identify, you know, the outcomes of, of online debates or they could uh, identify all sorts of different things that where they show their math and what caused them to make a decision. And that that's kind of what I'm trying to push as an idea. So Bersi actually helps us think, you know, uh, we have a problem, you know, the algorithms mm -hmm. uh, usually, you know, can't tell a traffic light or a lion from a cat. Uh, so uh, what are you trying to say is therefore we would kind of go back to the basics and show, so let, let's go back to your example of, um, uh, of uh, the uh, the pro-life debate. So we would focus on the, the key issues, but something that uh, we all agree. So let's start with freedom, right? We want freedom from government and start from there. And then we could perhaps branch, you know, this, this versus that, or that versus this, and, and show the, the opposing views without without the conflict, but rather in, in a more objective manner. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, exactly. And, and I definitely thank Basir's uh, comments. And I'm definitely not talking about artificial intelligence, where they're trying to see a, a, a traffic light from a, a cat. And I'm, I'm using the term algorithm to identify a step-by-step -step procedure. And so democracy is an algorithm. 
it's rule by the people. And so the, the, you know, making a cake is an algorithm. First you, you get out the, um, eggs, you crack the eggs, you, you stir the eggs. And, and so what I'm saying is a, a process party. And I actually do not like, um, artificial intelligence. What I believe is collective intelligence. And so I think Wikipedia is a collective intelligence. It's, it's just a group effort and, it's an organized group group effort in that it focuses people's attention on one thing at a time. So there's a Wikipedia page about um, the San Francisco uh, Gate Bridge. And, you know, it focuses everyone's attention on that one thing. And, you know, there, there's the history of the bridge. There's a remodel effort. And, and that's kind of what I'm hoping we can do in... Uh, and that's what I mean by algorithms is just that we, we use processes like trying to figure out what the motivation is for each side. And that's just a process. Um, and I, I definitely didn't, uh, Rom, I'm not, I, I, I don't think I did a great job of fully understanding, uh, your, your question, but I'm, I'm hoping that so far. No, that... I did. no, so I think it's kind of um, going back to the, you know, the basics. And, you know, if we find the commonality and we start from, let's say, the value of freedom. Right? So if mm -hmm. we start with the commonality, then the left the left uh, will say something, the right will say something else. Uh, but uh, perhaps uh, people from both sides of the debate who are in favor or against, so who are pro-life or, you know, uh, pro-choice, if we say if we can agree on the basic of freedom, right? So, you know, freedom from government influence or something like that. So some kind of a basic understanding, then well, we, we all agree to that. If we, we all agree to that, then I think there is a possibility that there's going to be civil debate or civil discourse in terms of, okay, well, if we start from here, right? And where do we get from here? But at least there's some, some kind of a common ground as opposed to, just opposing sides that that actually don't want to talk they just want to shout at each other right yeah that that's the goal is to, is to get the two sides at least understanding each other because when we don't understand each other and we, when we don't understand what motivates each other our imagination fills in the blanks they they do this because they're evil they do this because if we don't understand them we we're going to make up accusations we do this the, their motivation, we always assume the worst. And, and so uh, abortion is the very worst topic uh, to bring for me to have brought up because there are um, more simple complex, uh, simple issues that, uh, that I hope that we would address first with this um, online cost benefit analysis, pro con uh, uh, arbitrated um, uh conflict resolution website also uh, but so there is a beginning <laughs> so with technology and as you mentioned uh, maybe we could use the, the collective intelligence and, and and fish from it so let's say uh you know cost benefit analysis of you know uh creating another school voucher or something like that where we could talk yes. in objective terms that would result in this that would result in and and that and I kind of uh, feel that we we need that kind of that kind of a solution. Let me share with you an example. So I'm an economist, right? Yes. And one of my former neighbors, uh, she ran the only uh, teen pregnancy program left in the county. There were three; they were cut down to one. And she yes. asked me to help her make the case for budget. I said, "Well, easy. Well, an economist, right?" So uh, yes. instead of talking about people, because I said, well, "If I if I go that way, people will shut out." I said. Or talk about cost benefit, and I yes. said, "Well, uh, there are two choices here. You can uh, look at this person, a, a pregnant teenager, right? And you can uh, she will become one of two things: a, a cost or a taxpayer. Right? Yes. If we kick her out of school and she doesn't graduate, she will become a dependent on social services. Yes. She will pay taxes." And she will contribute to society. So which one should we go? Should we yeah. help her graduate and become a yeah. taxpayer? Or should we kick her out and let her become a cost? And the, the answer was kick her out. Let her become a cost <laughs> because 
uh, you know, if uh, 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 pregnant teens walking around, other teens will become pregnant. And then I said, well, look, as far as I remember, you, you can't just look. You don't get pregnant by looking. You have to do something more. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a solution like what you're trying to say, right? Uh, if we could have some sort of using the collective intelligence to share, right? Maybe we would have come at different conclusions or we would have understood, well, yeah, you know, perhaps you don't want to see a pregnant teenager walking around in the high school, but it's a matter of fact, she does exist. So how do we deal with her? Do we, do we embrace her and make it a welcoming place so that she will feel valued and she will grow up? Or do we exclude her? And exactly. Think, you know, sharing of information is that, isn't it? Yeah, and Ram, anytime there's something new, everyone always says, "Well, this isn't going to solve all your problems," and and I don't I don't see this as solving all of our problems. These these issues have existed since, you know, we came out of the trees, um, but but the goal is to have more order in the conversation and to not have to recreate these arguments from scratch um, every single day on Twitter. You know why? Why do we have to recreate this Twitter, this argument on these arguments on Twitter every single day? Why don't we organize them by topic so that we can continually refine them, and continually evaluate all of their sub arguments, and link everything together in a process that's pr that promotes quality? And again, I don't think it's going to solve all of our problems, but all I'm asking for is more order in our conversation you know, you have a belief at the top of a page. You have reasons to agree or disagree that that belief is, is true. And true can be free from logical error. And true can also mean verified. So, um, and then you can have reasons to agree or disagree that that argument is important. And as an economist, you know that something can be important if it has significant cost or significant benefits. And so you can have the significance or the, the amount of cost uh, from a quantitative standpoint, but you can also have a confidence. You can have arguments about, about the likelihood of a cost or benefit. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the old uh, tale that the earth stands on top of uh, turtles and you know, there was a, a question, you know, what what's beneath the turtle? Well, they just said turtles. And then someone said, what's what's beneath those? And so this is an ancient belief on, you know, how, how is the world sustained and created? And, you know, some people said that Atlas held up the earth. But I think I can't remember which which uh, community thought that the earth was supported by turtles. And the question was, you know, what's beneath all of the turtles? And they said, more turtles. And, and that's kind of what I, what I want is, is arguments is, you know, there's costs and benefits and you have arguments that a cost is likely. And then you have arguments that a cost is mo uh, more or less significant. And then reasons to agree or disagree with each of those uh, beliefs. And you have scores for each argument and conclusion scores built on the strength of those argument scores. And so if you weaken an argument, it should automatically weaken all conclusions built on that argument. So just take, for instance, global warming. Uh, if, if we strengthen the belief that you know, global warming is caused by uh, human CO2 emissions, that then it sh it should automatically strengthen all beliefs built on that and and so that that's kind of the world that i believe we will develop in the future and that i'm i'm very mad that we haven't developed yet <laughs> so i want to change subjects a little bit so uh, you know another important point is finding ways to foster more inclusiveness in the political process so how can yes. we bring more voices into the political discussion Yes, that's a great question. And if you if you read this book, uh, Getting to Yes, it's, it, it, it does focus on that. Uh, 
it, it says that you need a group that's diverse enough that you hear all of the different perspectives, but it needs to be small enough that everyone can uh, participate. And if you look over in Europe, you can see that there are political parties that are dedicated to citizens' juries or citizens' assemblies. And that's where you put everyone together in a gymnasium and you have them kind of talk through the issues. You have random, randomly assigned citizens. But, but I, I, I think that those are great efforts, but, but uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm, I, I, I believe in a Wikipedia approach to, to politics, that we, we need to outline all of the costs and the benefits, and anyone should be able to go and, and you know, add a reason that, the, that a certain cost is, is more important. You know, that, so cost can be associated with someone's needs or interest. And those needs and interests can be associated with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so those can be more or less important. You know, we need food, water, and air. And those are the very most important things that we need. And so, so cost or benefits that give people the ability to obtain food or water or air might be more important uh, from a Maslow's hierarchy of needs standpoint than some other costs or benefits. And, and all, all I want is arguments all the way down, um, pro and con arguments. And I think that if we, if we just accomplish that one thing, having pro and con arguments on the same page, we're so much better than the Republican and Democrat parties. You know, it's, it's to me a shame that uh, a, a political party that's ded dedicated to democracy doesn't, is less democratic than Wikipedia. Wikipedia allows anyone to go in and contribute, but but not everyone can contribute to the uh, Democrats.org website, and not everyone can contribute to the Republican uh, websites. And they they have different facts on their website, and they don't share. They don't speak the same language. They don't share facts. You know. I'm going to gather all of the facts that support my conclusions and you're going to gather all of your, the facts that support your conclusions. And we're not really going to um, acknowledge each other's facts. And that to me is, is the problem. But, but to address your, your, your question about inclusion, I, I, I just say uh, to everyone out there, you know, come as you are and, and participate in this process. Don't just bring your anger. Don't just bring your hatred. Don't bring your self-righteousness, but clean yourself of those things first, but definitely come. Everyone is welcome. And if you can fit into the process that looks at reason, you're welcome. And so everyone is welcome if they follow the rules of the website. Now, uh, one thing is we, we try to become more inclusive, but, you know, the young people look at us, right, and say, and if we go back through history, like, you know, Plato, right? uh, in Athens, there were more slaves than there were people, free people, right? Mm -hmm. So, slaveholder, yeah. right? Benjamin Franklin, slaveholder, yes. right? So, yes. uh, uh, do as I say, don't do as I do. Uh, how do we... <laughs> How do we uh, get uh, younger people excited about a process if they look at us and say, well, you fools, you you just, you're all talk, you don't do. So do you think that uh, uh, promoting more of the fact sharing will help, help people become more enthusiastic or want them to join in the debate? How, how can we get them excited about joining in the debate? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you, you make a, a great point uh, that that we need to reach out and be inclusive, and we need to not be hypocrites. Um, and and you know, I think there's all sorts of things that we could do on a website. And I don't want to be the person that dictates about how you know every every decision is made. But I but I definitely agree with you that I think that that's important. And, and that we, we can avoid being hypocrites and we can uh, reach out and include everyone. 
Yeah, I think part of the, the problem is so uh, we go around when we don't like something, we go around and redistrict, right? Let's redraw the lines. We don't like the yeah. outcome of the vote or we don't like the the demographics. So we will so we'll if you look at the, the redistricting maps, I mean they don't look like natural maps. Really it looks like someone went around and moved this thing here, moved this. So how can we avoid those things? I mean, if it's truly representative, if I, I go on a street by street basis and, and pick the street versus the other, how, how could we uh, arrive at some some sort of an idea where, you know, we are we are truly inclusive, but we are also not gerrymandering or trying to redistrict every, every election so that we get what we want? Yeah, I I I... I think that we need to make our decisions based on the best available evidence. And so I'm not necessarily interested in what everyone's beliefs are. I'm interested in what evidence you can bring to support your belief. And, and I, I know that that sounds harsh, but I, I think that um, it, it's the ultimate kindness that we're going to have a society that is ran by reason. And it, it definitely doesn't seem reasonable to select representatives in a unfair way that, you know, I believe that democracy and representation and true democracy, which is representing the community, the way the community really looks is a value. And to me that that's an algorithm. The, the separation of powers is an algorithm. And I think debate is an algorithm. And our founding fathers told us not to create political parties. Both, you know, George Washington and John Adams. Uh, John Adams, one of the, you know, few uh, founding fathers that, um, you know, was uh, opposed to, uh, you know, opposed to slavery and you know uh but they, they did warn us to not form political parties and, and and even benjamin franklin you know he he warned us he tried starting a virtue party and you know he's not super well associated with virtue but he used it's it's kind of a classic greek term of virtue which is effective um he wanted to start something close to effective uh you've heard of effective altruism where you judge your policy you know not by stories but by the outcome using scientific methods and and that that's what i'm what, what i believe in and and uh i i hope that that kind of a, answers your questions no, it's a very different view of the world, and that's why we're having this conversation. So, uh, yeah. and I think it's important uh, that we highlight. So, this is the situation we are in today, but it doesn't have to be, right? Mm -hmm. If we we sit down as a collective and decide that's that's not very beneficial, or maybe we should either look at fact finding or look at you know virtues and, and things like that. I mean. Uh, there are several sites all over there that say, you know, uh, you know, fact finding. But, you know, after every single speech by one side or the other, if you go to the site, you know, about half of the things that were said were not true or factual. Yeah. But either something, my gosh, what, where, what have we become? You know, uh, again, it's going back to the idea of uh, subjectivism and uh, and being opinionated as opposed to looking for ways to um, share facts and information. So perhaps if we we were to promote a view of the world that it's sharing, more sharing as you identified and, and try to identify, you know, those are the things, quote, we think, you know, are true or we hold are true and start from there. Perhaps we'll have a better shot at, uh, you know, controlling the polarization, um, you know, perhaps uh, going away from this uh, obnoxious uh, political debate and going back to, you know, policies. So which policies will benefit us better, this policy or the other policy? But again, it's, it's just yeah. a thought. But so what other issues, I mean, you named quite a few, but in the future, uh, what other issues do you think we need to tackle so that we have a healthy and well-functioning society? Yeah, well, and, and I, I do think that uh, 
the issues of, of inclusion and uh, obtaining the insights from more people is something that this can address. It, um, you know, a lot of, you know, everyday people uh, in the country are talked about and, you know, uh, politicians try to use them, but they, they often don't have a direct voice. And that's what I think that this uh, direct participation democracy could do is, is what does, what do the people want and, and let them speak for themselves. We don't have to, uh, you know, speak for them. We don't have to uh, uh, try to guess at their motives. This this uh, online, you know, Wikipedia uh, isn't focused on politics or arguments or or reasons to agree or disagree or interest. It's just focused on telling you a facts about a bridge or uh, you know some fancy boat or it's just it's just an encyclopedia, but. A, a political version of Wikipedia where you have people who uh, in a country, citizens that have been underrepresented, underrepresented there, they can go on the website and directly say what they want and what they need, what their interests are. And, and so I, I, I do think that that is um, how we can, you know, move to the future is by letting people have a voice. And right now they don't have a voice. I mean, on Twitter or Wikipedia, having money, having power, having a PhD um, exposes you to more influence. There's secret hidden algorithms uh, on Twitter and Facebook, and you meet powerful friends at expensive colleges. And all of these things help you have more influence in, in an artificial intelligence uh, world. But having a direct participation world where individuals can go on and explain what they want and what they need, or they can post reasons to agree or disagree directly without being filtered out by, you know, Trump, Trump has a billion dollars and he can buy an audience and he can buy... He can buy uh, Twitter uh, feeds and Twitter posts, and he can, buy, you know, Twitter and and all of Facebook and all of these dem so-called democratic movements are up for sale. But Wikipedia is not up for sale. It's a direct participation website, and I think that we can learn a lot from them on how to, you know, we know that in the Republican Party and in the Democrat Party, Democratic Party, that. Uh, that money buys influence, contributions buys by influence. And I think that we give voice to citizens that have typically been left out of the conversation by letting them directly participate. Yeah, we just had a comment about, you know, we talked about redistricting. So gerrymandering is practices by both parties, but the outcome may not be what was expected. So when, when that happens, you just go around and redistrict again, right? <laughs> what yeah. do you do? Yeah, I love uh, Intelligence Squared debate where they have kind of arguments um, from both sides and they give each side, you know, 15 minutes and they have a vote before and after. And they did talk about redistricting, but then opponents said that, you know, sometimes the, the, the designers of re, uh, re, uh, gerrymandering don't actually always get their way. And, and so, but it's interesting. Okay. You know what? Uh, I think we we have a long way to go, but I kind of like your you know let's let's have this this uh, <laughs> Wikipedia out there so that you know at least we uh, or, or adopt, adopt this political Wikipedia so that we can have this kind of uh, debate. Uh, but we are talking about a non-partisan political society, probably right. So we go back to the idea of virtual. Or, I mean, Ben Franklin's idea of virtual. Uh, how would that work? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, here in America, it's very hard for us to imagine something different than what we have. Uh, but over in other countries, there are political parties dedicated to processes. And like I said, there's um, citizens jury, citizen juries, and there's there's political parties um, dedicated to direct democracy. And 
And, you know, the, the Republican and, and Democrat parties are named after processes. They're not named after we're the small government party or we're the big government party. Those are just political um, uh, platforms. But your party, the, the party is really named after the process of democracy or the process of rep representation. And, and what I really want to be is a political party that's dedicated to debate and um, putting ideas through a survival of the fittest death match. And, and uh, the constitution was designed for debate. You know, we're supposed to take people and shove them in the same room together and have them debate the issues, but they're not debating each other. And so that's what I think is lacking from our current politics is debate. It's all just a performative act and you have people in a room all the, by themselves giving speeches to no one, but the only speech they're giving a speech to is C-SPAN. And you know, our, our political rooms of debate are just places for grandstanding and giving speeches. And giving speeches to each other was not the purpose of bringing our politicians all together and putting them in, in, this, in the same room. And so saying that our constitution is no longer working is like saying that if you put sand in your engine and being frustrated that it's not working, our constitution isn't working because our political parties don't debate each other. They don't bring real honest uh, data to be shared or to be evaluated. All they do is a performance for, for cameras. And, and so that's, that's what I'm trying to address is, you know, I believe in democracy, I believe in representation, and I believe in debate. And I think we need a political party that also d believes in real, honest, open debate. And you couldn't shove the whole country in, a, in the same room so that we could all debate the same issue this, uh, when the Constitution was founded. But limitation of space and time are no longer a consideration. We can leverage the intelligence and the attention span and the time of everyone in this country. And, you know, I think we start with economists and people that have PhDs and we do cost benefit analysis and we import them from Stanford and Harvard and all of our leading institutions. But you allow citizens to post reasons to agree or disagree and you allow them to interact with the real data that is behind pros and cons and evidence and counter evidence. And you, um, if nothing else, allow them to upvote and down, downvote and see where the strongest pro arguments and the, and the strongest weak uh, con arguments are. And so it, it, there are examples of process parties. Are, I think the Republican party should be dedicated to improving representation. I think the Democrat, Democratic Party should be dedicated to improving direct democracy, um, or at least I don't, I'm not a big fan of direct democracy. I don't think we all have the attention span to vote on every single issue, but, but the people with expertise and attention span willing to read all of the pros and cons can contribute to areas of their interest. And so uh, I think that a party named after democracy should be dedicated at least to direct participation. Well, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation today. I want to thank, you know, my club for, you know, so much for your time today. The person who wants to take us away from reality TV politics and into <laughs> real truth. Uh, politics. So we're really just scratching the surface here. You know, we can certainly continue the conversation, but I'm afraid that's all, all the time uh, we we have for today. So uh, before we go, let me say a few words about the upcoming shows. Uh, you know, we just had a, a talk with Jerome Glam that has been televised. We'll continue to work on technology, metaverse, sustainability, several uh, key events coming up, Institute of Competitive Intelligence from Frankfurt and Frost and Sullivan that uh, we will be covering. Again, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys so much for being here with me, my guest, Mike Lobb, today. Uh, uh, please uh, continue to share your thoughts and your ideas, and you can reach you know, out to me, the magazine, 
uh, via you know Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And again, uh, thank you so much for your being here with me and my club today. Uh, and I'll see you next time in another edition of Reflections. I will leave you for institutional message. Thank you.